What is going on? Welcome back to the Matt McCann Podcast, a weekly philosophy and lifestyle podcast where we tell wild stories and discuss big ideas. This week I've got an interview for you with Paul Coyer. Paul is a PhD candidate on the ethics of digital nudging at DCU. He's part of the International Training Network Protect and has degrees in economics, business and philosophy. Paul's work focuses on the ethical problems that arise in the collection of data and manufacturing of consumers' behaviour, and he investigates what consequences digital nudges have for our autonomy, our well-being, and our economy. In this podcast, we talked about, you guessed it, digital nudging. We also talked about the attention economy, big tech companies, artificial intelligence, an AI apocalypse, positives and negatives of the digital world, and what good and bad really mean. As always, if you like the podcast, click follow on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, wherever you are, click that button. I hope you enjoy it. Oh. Yeah. Paul, welcome to the show. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. Um, we've met, obviously, through your PhD work with DCU, looking at the ethics of digital nudging. And um, I suppose, what yeah, what I was interested in is the relationship between the digital nudging and the manipulation of customers' behavior, which is also similar to the stuff that I'm in. But um, how would you define digital nudging for somebody that doesn't know anything about it? Well, nudging without the digital is to steer people into certain directions using psychological means. And you do this without any form of coercion, so you make it feel as if it's out of your own accord. Um, the di- yeah, so that's, that's step one for me. Um, the digital part comes in when you do this digitally. So when you design a website in a way to steer behavior in certain places, which is very often either to um, um, push people towards buying certain products or to uh, stimulate people to use a service longer. So for example, Netflix wants you to uh, watch as many videos as possible. Facebook wants you to watch as many posts as possible. They use all kinds of techniques for this, psychological techniques. And then there comes a a third layer because, well, in the digital world, of course, it's not only very easy to create lots of designs and to to use them, but we have the uh, element of AI, which measures which techniques are best. And they use AI techniques to see which nudges perform in a way that uh, optimizes whatever the goal of the, the designer is. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, sorry, go ahead. Was... So that in total, the three elements, that is what digital nudging is for me. And I suppose, yeah, my initial reaction to that is kind of like, how do you make that ethical in a sense? It seems like all the incentives for that are pushing towards, you know, maximizing people's attention on your site, uh, which is probably counter to what their own goals are in life which is probably not to spend all their time on Facebook. But I suppose in terms of where do you 
draw the line then between good digital nudging and bad digital nudging or do you well um i think uh, let me start by saying that uh, traditionally in the economy that we have always had this uh, demand versus supply uh, um, uh, pressures working into each other so all salesmen want somebody to buy it and, and consumers of course are in, in, um, interested in, in buying uh, these goods, but uh, also have other interests like maybe spending time with the family or not looking at advertisements. Uh, I think the digital world has um, uh, made this relationship more complex and also a little bit more dangerous for consumers uh, because everything they do is being measured. and. Uh, with the use of AI, um, companies have much more tools at their disposal to see what actually influences consumers. And the power balance has shifted a little bit there. Having said that, I think we should not over-exaggerate the problem as a lot of people do want to use Facebook. A lot of people do want to use Netflix. A lot of people do want to um, make use of all these types of services or digital uh, platforms. Um, so what I think is that uh, to, to an ethical view on this would always uh, account, give account of, of two uh, separate or two interdependent elements. And that is, first of all, what are the boundaries of uh, techniques that the um, uh, producers can use or the, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Netflixes, which techniques can they use? What are the boundaries there? But second of all, which I think is also an essential part of the story is, what is the responsibility of consumers themselves? Uh, what can consumers do to protect themselves and how big is their responsibility to use what they want and to stay away from things they don't want? And if people eat a lot of, if people are too fat, we maybe blame McDonald's, but we sure as hell also blame them. And I think this should be the same in uh, the digital world. You can blame Facebook, but you also have your own responsibility to stay away from the things that you think are not good for you. Mm -hmm. So there's two elements there, a personal responsibility one, but also a kind of regulation that's like of businesses and people that use the tech. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I could elaborate on both, but I don't know if uh, that's what you want to go into. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we can definitely, I think we can build on both of them. I suppose my initial, I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of that there's a real positive element to these things as well, that we're all consumers of this media and that we it enriches our lives and is so important for business, for society, for connecting with other people, like that it has so many upsides. Um, and then I guess the, then you come to the downside, which is the, the issue of third-party manipulation and the possibility of inducing addiction in people basically to keep i was listening to a podcast with stuart russell the other day um mm -hmm. who wrote the standard model of ai or wrote the book on it but um he talks about the issue with giving an objective to an ai which is to maximize long-term clicks mm -hmm. the ai is just going to do that and everything else has a value of zero so it if people are clicking because they're addicted to something that still counts as success that's still doing the mm -hmm. job um, and do you see a possibility of regulating stuff like that? Like, I mean, is the regulation involved in the AI? Or are you regulating 
you know, how the business use it. What would be your thoughts on it? Well, I think that regulating the AI uh, will be very, very difficult, uh, at least for now. First of all, uh, it's very opaque, uh, the algorithms they use and which are, uh, what they exactly do. And with many algorithms, as you said, they are uh, optimizing one metric or one metric only. And even the designers don't necessarily understand um, which elements uses to, to maximize or optimize that uh, uh, North Star metric. Um, yeah. So uh, the technical feasibility, but also the political uh, knowledge to, to regulate something like this efficiently is completely lacking. Um, and what I think that is a very important part of it um, is the economical pressures here. Um, because why uh, would Facebook want to do this? Why do they like, in between uh, quotation marks, to make people addicted? Or why, why is this happening on the platform? Because every click is more money. And there's so much money in this, in this business that the pressures on them are, are gigantic. And, with the, the gigantic um, uh, profits come, of course, uh, yeah, a whole lot of power as well. Mm. Yeah, and um, the competition between them, I suppose. So, like, yeah, you have a situation where if Facebook is going to regulate their algorithm, TikTok might not, and then you have one platform just clearly sails ahead of the other one. Um, so there's a, yeah, a real economic model issue going on, which I'm quite sympathetic to. I mean, to be honest, I'm... I'm not, I, th I think regulation is necessary, but also that oftentimes, you know, there is these incentives that should kind of keep that in balance. So I'm wondering why those economic incentives, is it because they're all perfectly competitive? They're similar kind of goods that are trading off against one another. Is there, I mean, because the economic incentives in other industries can keep things balanced between demand and supply, but it doesn't seem to really be applying in this circumstance I kind of wonder why they seem to be an exception um, well i think uh, the very large exception here uh, can be explained completely by one economic concept uh, called network effects uh, um, the what, what facebook has and what uh, most other companies doesn't have is that it come the platform becomes more valuable with each user that's added you only want to be on a platform where all your other friends are. You don't want to have three social platforms, uh, especially with um, uh, WhatsApp, for example, a messaging app. You don't want to have three uh, messaging apps on your phone. It's very annoying, and certainly not seven. So there can only be one winner. It's a winner-take-all game by the mechanics of it. And this effect is strengthened by um, the effect that uh, AI is powered by big data, and data needs to, big data needs to be big. The more, the better. Uh, the and it, this is a, not a linear but an exponential relationship. Um, so this this adds to the uh, strength of the network effects, uh, and this is something that you have, what that we've rarely seen in the economy, uh, and that mm. creates sort of natural grown monopolies. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that you would think then it would tend towards a monopoly. And yet, I suppose it's probably that's kind of one of the issues that's regulation as well. Like if you were to ban certain aspects of it, 
a person could just make another one in theory with social media. So I guess, does it come down to the fact that there's so much demand uh, in the population for these technologies as well, that that's kind of driving it? I mean, you can't, I mean, it wouldn't be able to have a monopoly if there wasn't so many people signing up. And so the kind of challenge of having a society that's connected by technology, but then having to have certain technologists responsible for that like you're mm-hmm. you're trying to regulate everybody's social reactions in a way or social interactions um and the challenges mm-hmm. that that like i mean the i think about marshall McLuhan who says the medium is the message and how you know just by communicating on this platform you're subscribing to the theories and presuppositions of the people that have made it so you have already you know, by going onto it, you're already kind of in that playing field. And um, mm. so I don't know. It's, yeah, sorry. Is that is that just a long rambling spiel or does that have any uh, relevance for what you're saying? No, no, I, I definitely think it has uh, um, relevance because, as you said, uh, we haven't uh, witnessed a mechanic in which the uh, communications of so many people mm-hmm. are being determined by mm. the medium of choice. Mm. Um, the algorithms have a huge influence on how the interactions on these platforms work. Yeah. And this way we can say that information between people doesn't flow as freely as it, as it used to. It's mm. determined by certain laws and these laws, yeah. like you said, yeah. uh, have one very big central, uh, uh, tendency and that is to maximize everything that generates attention yeah that's exactly what I, I mean in terms of that when you go into the site you think you're communicating in a certain way that's kind of of your own free accord but then there's all there's limitations of language and then something like twitter with 140 characters limitation like what does that incentivize i mean what can you really say in 140 characters that maybe it's just something really salacious and then that's what most people want to look at. So that gets pushed up by the algorithm. So you end up with this kind of thing that looks objective or looks like it represents what people think, but is actually just created by the, uh, what the algorithm is optimized for in the first place and the mm-hmm. choice architectures. Um, <laughs> so are we in a position where maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and rewrite how that like with that knowledge now because i don't think the people that set up twitter and facebook and stuff knew that i don't think that was something that they really were aware of but no this has all happenstance like with yeah. with any innovation really yeah um innovation is a process of stumbling on new things and only yeah. then discovering the full out uh, yeah. implications of it this is just a massive one. Like it's the largest unregulated experiment I'd say that's ever happened <laughs> in the history of mankind. And we don't really, yeah. I mean, how to, how to fix it, but I suppose to come back to the digital nudging, maybe that could help us kind of get a foothold in it of what would be, because as you mentioned, I mean, people nudge people all the time. We're always kind of persuasive. Like, you know, if you write a good book or something like that, you can't put down, that's a kind of, you know, nudging and, you know you use specific techniques but then how how do you when the feedback loop is so intense like where people are constantly online how do you regulate or how do you have what is the ethical version of that that even as a person that's creating it could use i mean is there any models for that is there anybody that you'd point to and say this is they're doing it properly 
How do you mean? Uh, is there anybody? Uh, is there anybody? I suppose in your research on digital nudging that you found that seemed like a good model of you know that they're doing it ethically or that there's a you know a consideration for it. Well, um, I I don't uh, I don't have any examples specifically that I can point to. Like this is this is how you should do it. Yeah. Um, as I said, well, I, I'm a philosopher. I, I I like to look at the bigger than mm. uh, life questions and the most yeah. abstract forms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, um, what I like to uh, what I like to point out is the the general rules by which these mechanics work. And mm. to me, that's like you said, uh, an, a, a platform that. Uh, uh, is driven by a huge economic incentive to maximize clicks and to make people hooked. That is something we need to understand. But yeah. it doesn't mean that we can um, easily let go of this mm. because, well, as you said, first of all, it's a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. uh, there's 24-7 uh, uh, in a week, not more, and there's a limited amount of people. Yep. And if you are being paid by eyeballs watching to, uh, to your platform, the amount of eyeballs uh, that you can capture is a zero-sum game. <laughs> yeah. That's one. Yeah. The um, uh, economic pressures will not subside. That that, that yeah. will remain. And the network effects are there. That, that That's also something that is there. As a regulator, you can try to um, uh, forbid certain practices or to, to uh, um, uh, impose them, impose certain rules on them. You can do this in how uh, the algorithms work, but to do this, the regulator would have to have a huge understanding of how uh, minds work psychologically. Yeah. And they don't even think this knowledge is out there. <laughs> yeah. Not even, not even Facebook has this knowledge. Yeah. Because yeah. all they know is what makes people click or what makes people watch. Yeah. This doesn't mean that they understand minds. Yeah. A lot of people say, "Well, yeah. they they understand minds better than anybody." Yeah. I don't think that's the case. They understand. Mm -hmm. AI better than anybody. And yeah. what they understand about AI is that you can use it very well to optimize one very measurable goal, mm -hmm. um, which is, well, we've, uh, yeah. which is the number of either number of clicks or number of mm -hmm. time on the platform. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to understand AI, which, well, well, um, we, we, well, certainly regulators don't have the knowledge now. They could acquire it, but I, the, the question is if this is possible at all. Mm. Um, you don't know what a neural network does in its deepest core. You only know <laughs> what it optimizes. Yeah. Um, so um, what you do see happening now is that people, that regulators try to um, abandon or to, to impose rules to uh, do certain very niche things or certain practices. So uh, you can't advertise politically anymore, or you have to be known if you advertise politically. Mm -hmm. That's one very specific problem mm -hmm. uh, with a specific rule now, yeah. which we will see if, if, if it helps. Another example is that uh, um, uh, young girls used to get a lot of uh, videos about how to eat less that, that would actually promote eating disorders yeah because this is very engaging content for them and this would make them go into a rabbit hole and, and, and mm. keep them hooked so this is very profitable for the platform mm -hmm. you can try to take that out or to to ban all platforms that have eating disorder in them or yeah. that, that stimulate but this is all uh patches against bleeding this doesn't solve 
any uh, structural mm-hmm. um, it doesn't change the structural mechanics of how this world works mm-hmm. they yeah they're really good examples i was familiar with the eating disorder one in terms of that like if a young girl would look up something about dieting or exercise too much and then slowly the recommendations would begin to kind of push that way it's the same with a lot of like anti-vaccine stuff on facebook and whatever you think about that it's like if you look up organic baby food a mother would end up at anti-vaccine so because the algorithm is tinted is pushing you towards a sticky area something that will hold your Mm -hmm. attention all the time and the stickiest areas it turns out are like the most controversial things really and but oftentimes i think they're like big world stuff big things where people will be like the revelations are revelatory for people i think that's why conspiracy theories are so popular because they're uh, like a unifying theory of everything in a way they give you an, an explanatory framework for life and right. um, which is but what you pointed out i mean that kind of ties back into what you're saying we don't understand mind and we don't understand ai and we're using ai to capture people's attention but we don't understand either of those things really so it's kind of like that's that's what really throws me because I've been studying attention a lot now for the proposal and everything that I'm doing and um the the importance of attention to human functioning is like it's essential for a person's development. I mean you can't learn about anything without paying attention to it. So the idea that we can have eyeballs 24/7 on Facebook and have all these industries competing for it means what are people not paying attention to <laughs> like everything else and the resulting you know mental health problems ethical problems the issues that people will face in their relationships in their like i don't i don't know if you could have a relationship if your attention is constantly captured on other things and you know we can't measure that really except kind of obliquely but um yeah, yeah so it kind of i guess what am I trying to get at is that we have these mysteries that we're building the technology out of, but that we don't understand. Do you think if we were able to solve some of those mysteries, if we were able to have a theory of mind, then we could actually apply that to it? I don't know Mm -hmm. if we'll solve AI, but that's kind of my bet at the moment would be if you could figure out a theory of mind or a theory of attention that works, then you could say from that what the ethical function would be. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I, I do like uh, uh, the suggestion, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm also not fairly skeptical towards. <laughs> uh, I'm like, no, I've already done it this week, man. It's fine. Um, I did it earlier. It's OK. Don't worry about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it seems to be like an impossible task in either direction. So. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, this is um, more and more the uh, the direction of my uh, PhD research is that, uh, like we we uh, said before, that these guys when they designed Facebook and Google, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know the implications of it. Um, and I think that this is not uh, unique to their situation. This is how innovation works. Period. Always. Um, and I think that when regulating the world, we also need to go in small steps instead of coming up with this huge, gigantic framework that may um, uh, that, that may have some full-blown 
a complete theory of everything, the mind and the world and, and everything. Uh, I think that is uh, surely impossible. We need to go in small incremental steps and see what works. And that needs to happen both on the uh, personal and on the uh, uh, corporate level, like I said. Um, and on the corporate level, I think the, the one of the first steps should be um, stronger antitrust uh, rules so that uh, at least these companies can take over too many other companies to at least allow some form of competition to, to uh, develop there. And, and on the personal, this starts with recognizing, for example, by podcast as this, that a valuable life is not spent on a screen and that a valuable life um, means having a relationship and that a relationship can be disturbed when you watch Facebook, watch your phone and, and go to Instagram every 10 or 15 minutes, like some people actually do. Um, so I don't think we should start with a theory of mind that uh, completely radic uh, radically changes the way how we, how we view the mind. I think it starts with the uh, with a simple recognition that you, you that attention for another person requires an hour long uninterrupted uh, yep. uh, streak sometimes. And also and, that, uh, I mean, you can use technology to do that. I mean, what we're doing right yeah. now is a clear cut example of how technology can be used to further something like that, to further relationship, to further ideas and can be used yeah. positively. But I guess the probably the incentives maybe don't support that of the business models that have been made so far. Um, yeah. And it is early days. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying and that these are very new technologies and new things. My issue, I suppose, push back a little bit on the... Oh, my laptop's a bit running out of battery here, sir. Second. What's going on there? Okay. This is super unprofessional, but... Um, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I was say, I'm running out of battery. But um, yeah, just on terms of the theory of mind thing, my issue is that um, I think a lot of our society at the moment and culture is driven by innovation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what makes our lives feel meaningful or gives context to it is technical or technological innovation. But the problem is technological innovation in itself has to be guided by something. It can't just be continuous innovation for innovation's sake, or else you end up with the kind of weird AI thing of like, transhumanism and people trying to invent this kind of like AI God, which seems very risky based on everything that I've looked at, um, which might not be, I mean, it might be a great thing, but there's a, a big ethical question there that like, there is a, a value over technology. Like if technology is the value in and of itself, we're just going to keep creating for the sake of creating. And you'll get things like this that have these externalities that we don't account for. So I suppose putting of technology within a certain framework is important for the future of technology if we're not to do this all the time you know what i mean i mean this is the first time in the 21st century maybe but like this could happen until that's it like until there's yeah. a severe enough but yeah hmm. but i think we should be aware of using the words innovation and technology with capital i and capital t yeah. Because it's not as yeah. if technology not or unified. is drifting into a direction right now. Yeah. Um, Facebook was Mark Zuckerberg yeah. 
in his room <laughs> yeah. developing something. Yeah. And the same goes for everything. Instagram was created by eight people. Um, and a, a lot of digital platforms are created by only a very few people. And why do they create what they create? Uh, they have an idea of what they that they have they have a vision or they have a problem and they think hey let's do this and then only after they they often find out the uh, full implications of what their technology actually can do um so why are they building what they're building often it's to 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 uh, um, fill a hole that they feel for example to to to, to uh, accommodate a problem that they either have or see other people having so if you say we need to put technology into a framework, it sounds as if technology is one big thing and this framework is one big box that you can just put it into. But I think it's very important to, in order to understand innovation, to think of it as 7, million, 7 billion people on this earth, all every day getting up from their beds, thinking what I'm gonna do today. And they have a reason to do what they do. And the process of all the interaction that they have combined with a lot of uh, coincidence, that is what creates innovation. It's a form of evolution. Um, there is a small step every day, and billions of small steps make these um, uh, large processes going on. Um, and to, to guide something like that, of course, this is guided by ideas, for example, but ideas aren't... Uh, Everybody has their own ideas. Ideas differ. People might understand the same idea differently. Mm -hmm. So I, I do wonder what you mean when you say we need to have a framework for technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly like I, I completely agree with you there, particularly in the sense of an individual solves a problem. I don't look at it as in terms of that technology is just this top down kind of like controlled thing by corporations and stuff like Mark Zuckerberg starting Facebook was because he saw people as disconnected from one another and wanted to connect people, which is a very noble mission. I mean, it's definitely one mm -hmm. I'd identify with. And then obviously he's ended up in this weird position that's totally probably not exactly what yeah, he was expecting. Even stronger. I think he <laughs> only created the narrative of connecting people after. I think he oh, just yeah. wanted to throw a website in the air to, <laughs> yeah. to get the 30 people of his class yeah. in one place. Yeah. He thought it would yeah. just be easier to make a yearbook digitally than to yeah. even print. Mm. And, that, and then the unexpected concept. But that's also, I suppose, that's a good point. That's kind of maybe getting closer to what I'm saying, which is as our technological prowess increases, our moral prowess as individuals have to increase. Because mm. if a guy, Mark Zuckerberg, can create that himself and do all of this, what happens when technology is even better and we can each do that? You know, the possibilities are increasing for our individual power. So yeah. Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to be this this critical about you. Well, no, no, it's, man, this is great. Yeah. This, this is I need to sharpen up my ideas, so it's all appreciated. The the, the, the thing there's uh, due to network effects, we cannot all do this uh, because of network effects. There can only be a very limited amount of power centers, um, and uh, with uh, it's. Um, the, the more the world gets connected, uh, the larger the largest company will be uh, as a, as a uh, almost as a law of nature. The more connectedness, the larger the largest uh, will be. Um, you also see this in, in, in nature, for example. The larger an ecosystem is, the larger the largest predator is because he yeah. is at the top of 
even more. It's also the Pareto um, principle, I suppose, in economics, isn't it? Like the yeah. like, whoever has more gets more, basically. Um yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or whoever has um, the most gets. Like, yeah, the more resources you have, the more the easier it is to get more resources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but um so um I, I with, with this uh I just want to say that it's not true that anybody mm -hmm. can wake up tomorrow and, and, and need to have a moral compass because they are able to, to be the next. Like everybody is in, uh, has the potential to become the next uh, billion dollar company, but there can, it can't happen. There isn't a world possible where a thousand people will manage to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I just push back on that a bit in the sense that what I'm saying is that now, as opposed to 20 years ago, you can wake up and post something on Facebook and potentially be on the front cover of every newspaper, you know, yeah. in the world. So there is this massive amplification of individual actions. Like if you put up a video on something and suddenly it goes viral, you're now in the minds of millions of millions of people. Whereas before that would have been, you know, a very, unless you were a specific, maybe a star or something like that. So the, that kind of creates this, strange effect of you know what are the rules in this kind of thing mm -hmm. what are you know that should guide my behavior i mean it in that kind of way that the potential for one's actions to be disproportionately large is becoming more apparent through technology mm -hmm. yeah I, I absolutely agree with you there yeah i, I was thinking about the, the the with great power comes responsibility referring to the designers or the uh, coders programs but when you're saying uh and the people who post, it's absolutely true. Uh, it's for everybody possible every day. And um, what's interesting about that is that uh, it changes the way information flows through society uh, because the, um, we know all about the most famous uh, bloggers and, and TikTokers uh, of the US. Um, there, there, there is a divide between East and West, of course, but in the Western world, the, the top people are viewed by the whole of the Western world. Whereas uh, if you used to, if you, if you were funny 300 years ago, you'd be the most famous people of your village. So there's the fewer people having more influence uh, on larger uh, people. So the, the concentration of uh, uh, influence is, is narrowing and that's changing the dynamics of how information flows through society. Yeah, not just information flow, I suppose, but also it made me think about um, that I had a conversation with a, a playwright from Belfast on the podcast before, and he said, he made a point about technology that the concerns now of an Irish 12-year-old in Dublin or in Belfast or somewhere are the same as the concerns of a 12-year-old in America because they're, yeah. they're using the same media. They're still imbibing the same content. Same people they watch is the same. So they're... They exist within a specific context, but digitally, there's a different informational landscape. There's a different culture. And I think mm -hmm. that the idea that there's a digital culture that's creating our values are being created by the choice architects of these apps, which are done for perhaps the survival of their business in a complex economy, which yeah. aren't really designed for you know, social cohesion or personal development or whatever the hell a culture is for. <laughs> um, so that kind of i don't know how you deal with that i mean maybe it's just a further step in a kind of globalization and that it could turn out to be a very positive thing but um 
yeah, I wonder what you think of that in terms of the digital culture being created by this kind of, by the algorithms, more or less. No, I, I think it's absolutely true. It's uh, something we can get around. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, as you said, uh, a teenager in uh, uh, Wisconsin wants is supposed to get more likes. And it's the same for a teenager in Dublin or Belfast or you know, wherever. Um, and this uh, uh, um, seeking of validation uh, is, and this validation being uh, given by a metric, a hard number, uh, is influencing our minds, I think. Uh, and I think uh, it's uh, an illusion to think we can get completely loose from this. We can uh, uh, teach our teenagers to not care about how many likes they will get. It's not <laughs> yeah. possible. Nope. But as digital culture is developing, I think it is possible to, to teach ourselves or to, to uh, train ourselves to be, um, to not uh, attach our complete sense of self and our value and our self-esteem to this, uh, the number of Facebook friends or Instagram reviews you have um, and to, to learn that there are other things valuable. But that's an individual uh, process for everybody. It, there, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural process that we're all going through, but every individual has to um, learn and deal with this for himself. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's harder for young people that are growing up in that environment whereby you are measured by that level of that's kind of the metric of success in a way. Um, yeah. And how do you, yeah, how do you teach people something other than that? And um, there was something I was going to say that I've forgotten now, but. Um, that it makes competition for status the highest value or makes it the highest good, in a sense. And that the epistemological issues that result from that as well, not that on these apps, there is, you know, when you're looking at it, detaching yourself, saying that number doesn't represent me. Okay, that's one thing. But what about all the impressions of what your friends put up, what content there is, how the news feed is, you know, personalized to you. You're all using those calculations to build a, a, a picture or a model of other people and reality. So we're always measuring how the world is off of this uh, content generated by an algorithm that's tailor fitted to our biases and our own kind of vulnerabilities. So our, the, the damage that does, I think, to a worldview, I, I've just stopped. I've decided that I won't use any information from an app to develop an opinion on anything. And now I don't know if you can consciously do that, but if I find myself, you know, starting to think a certain way, I go, where did I learn this? And if it's on an app or something like that, I will I'll reject it. <laughs> Just because I, I don't think you can trust it. I don't think you can actually, that there's any, I don't think it's a reliable source mm -hmm. because it's just, it's been filtered so much. So I wonder, can we make sense of the world in a digital landscape? Um, we have an example of that, of the, yeah. of the rejecting or uh, yeah. second-guessing uh, mm. uh, tendency of thought that you, you were developing. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a good example of it was the stuff that was going on in America with the BLM police stuff. 
And like mm. people were posting such radical things on either side and all this different stuff. And you would think everybody had become like hardcore militarized, like that they were involved in this huge conflict and everything. But I knew all of these people, like they're my friends and they're posting stuff. And I'm going like, is this actually what they think about the world? Is this, you know, on is, is everybody, does everybody hate each other this much? Is there this much like enmity for each other? Um, <laughs> but then I kind of thought, but then I started meeting people after it and talking to people. And we were all just like, oh yeah, that was a bit mad, wasn't it? Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like you'd have a conversation about it and it would be perfectly normal. And I was like, holy shit, the difference in scale between just perceiving through this app and real life is too much, like too much to actually consider it an accurate representation of anything. Um, there's way too much, but I, I feel like it's, that requires a, a level of, I don't, I like, I don't, I'm not even saying I can do that. I'm just trying to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Because the way it's designed is to create that picture. It's as if it's a portal into other people's worlds, but there's all these constraints. Mm -hmm. So that worries me in terms of how do we have a cohesive society when everybody has their own version of events that's tailored to them. We're each kind of getting individual propaganda that's designed for us, by us, in yeah. a sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, one interesting thing is what, what I noticed uh, when I, uh, I, I don't have an account on any social media except LinkedIn, yeah. which I never really use, but, uh, yeah. uh, okay, but I, I uh, started up TikTok. Uh, oh, God, uh, you jumped in at the deep end. <laughs> I don't have, uh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to see what it was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, What's interesting about it is that you, if you go to the homepage, you can already scroll. You don't need an account. Yeah. And yeah. they'll get, just give you random stuff. Yeah. Uh, what I noticed was there were a lot of Irish uh, um, videos that were yeah. obviously shooted in either Ireland or Dublin. Yeah. And the algorithm uh, obviously uh, prefers things from the location that you are in. Yeah. Uh, which is very interesting to me. And I thought maybe this is not such a bad thing mm -hmm. because um uh, like you said uh your uh, vision of the black lives matter in america mm -hmm. uh, was completely distorted because mm -hmm. all people post is the most uh the, their deepest feelings or at the moments of most uh, the most dramatic stuff uh, possible yeah uh, and, and but you 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 can't see the actual streets you can't actually feel the atmosphere there you're not there but why would you be so interested in a problem that's very specific to america mm. um i'm not yep. saying that europe doesn't have racism it, it mm. absolutely does but mm. the way it works here is different than it works in america mm -hmm. and if you're uh if the algorithm prefers things from your own country you are or even your own city mm. you are also you have much better context there yep. uh, and you're way better to to place uh, the things you see into context and to understand them mm. so maybe this is not such a bad thing that that sounds like a very good idea to be honest but it doesn't i wonder if it does that as a kind of a first step in terms of it'll it's a starting point but if you were to show more interest in other content it would develop you away from that yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I, I did the same thing. I mean, I had to get TikTok for this project I was doing with the Lyric Theatre about uh, young men and social media. I, I didn't want to have TikTok, but I got it. And I had to spend hours scrolling and saving videos. And it was so weird. Like the way the way it was trained by, because I was looking up stuff about young men in Belfast specifically, and how it was then trained very, very quickly to just give me that type of content. 
and to just show me the worst things going on in Belfast and in Northern Ireland of like just possible, like just everything. And you'd look at it and you'd be like, oh, my God, is this where I live? I'm like, what is going on? Like, it's just things are on fire. There's people fighting each other. And then you look out the window and you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it seems OK. But it and you it changes your I mean, there's no way like if you think about it, if people watch videos of people getting punched all day, they're going to go outside and think they're way more likely to be punched than they are. It, it's just kind of this in I don't know, it's probably a law of some sort a psychological law, probably that we we're always calculating, we're always predicting. And these things become part of our predictions. And I think yeah, it's uh, mm. oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. It's finished there. Go ahead. No, no, it's the uh, what you see is all there is principle from uh, mm. I think it's just from the first Kim Kahneman. That uh, every every image that you see, you immediately over exaggerate mm. the the probability that will happen to you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean when we're seeing when we're consuming so much media, I the pandemic I think was a real case study for me, which was good because being cut off from normal life where you socialize normally and all the socialization being done digitally, and then seeing how that's affected how that affected people's relationships and how that affected my relationships to the outside world and to my own beliefs and ideas and stuff and kind of just observing it. Um, it's, it didn't seem like it was, I mean, it had positives and negatives, but I guess it kind of made me think that there was, there's serious flaws in it. Like I don't think the social media algorithm is a good model for how to continue with these algorithms. Like it, it needs to have a different objective and what that objective will be, I think, as you're saying, needs to be more rooted in human psychology in a way that's a bit respectful rather than, you know, taking advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose to jump into a, a slightly different topic, do you think AI is a, an existential threat? I think, like I said before, uh, I, I can't uh, um, not view the world as this uh, series of incremental steps yeah. and uh, innovation mm. all the more like it. Yeah. Uh, uh, to know what the world will be in 100 years is impossible or even 50 years yeah. uh, or even 10 years <laughs> and how I will develop same. Yeah. So I... I'm really, really skeptical of people who say that I, AI is an existential threat. Yeah. Really, really skeptical of people like Bostrom who are already developing strategies of how to deal with the AI of the future. Mm. We have the smartest people in the planet been working for 20 years mm -hmm. to create algorithms that will make people watch cat videos and to uh, create the most effective ads. Yeah. And they've been relatively successful at that we've watched more uh, ads. <laughs> more ads than anybody ever had to yeah to go from this to it will develop a sense of self it will yeah. it will take over the world it might but then again it might also be that we are already very near the the boundaries of what ai can do that's um, yeah mm. that's an interesting point that they kind of, that there's a tendency to overestimate what we're capable of possibly not um i'm just saying i was watching elon musk talking about it last night who's massively against it um 
I don't really have a hard opinion. I don't understand enough of it really to be able to come to a conclusion. But I thought the idea that you have a, if you can make an artificial intelligence that's more intelligent than humans, then mm-hmm. technically it would be able to do computer science. So it would be able to self-improve. And then the argument would be that would it self-improve the right way or would it self-improve the, but I, I thought it was interesting that it came down to a kind of like self-improvement issue. It was like, how would it develop if it was going to develop? And I think a lot of the problems with the algorithms are that they don't consider development. They don't consider human development. They're not aimed at healthy human development. They're aimed at taking up time. And I think the point of attention that I've learned is development. Develop, attention develops by functioning and it functions by developing. It has this kind of feedback loop. And so, I mean, maybe having artificial or better understanding of human development and applying it to the technology would make it less risky, but I've completely gone on a tangent there. But um, the, yeah, I mean, it is, it's kind of sci-fi at the moment, isn't it? Do you think it's like, is it, are we just getting ahead of ourselves? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Way too many people have uh, filled way too many conferences with, uh, mm. preposterous claims about AI and, and many other technologies. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, mm. um, yeah, like I said, it's very easy because not a lot of people understand AI. It's very easy to make grand claims because nobody has the specific knowledge to, to question those claims in the mm. audience often. Mm-hmm. But turn it around and just ask why do you think this will happen what will happen and then you get these arguments like if it's smart enough mm-hmm. um, it can develop itself and then there's no limit to it mm-hmm. well that that might be but um we don't even have a notion of smart what does intelligence mean that's the big now that's, yeah that's such a problem is, isn't it optimizing very specific metrics mm. um and we we don't even understand which metric we we would need to get to mm. uh this type of uh, intelligence but i mean yeah that's always i mean so much of this the issues are really lie with us rather than the. i mean because i don't know we have i know there's different theories of intelligence but i don't know if there's something concrete enough to say that we're recreating it and how you would separate that intelligence from the rest of an embodied human being is also mm-hmm. very complicated and it seems to be the recurring problem i mean that idea with the objectives of the ai that whatever objective you give it, it, you know, there's all these other possibilities and stuff. But that's kind of a problem with us not knowing what's best for us. I mean, what really, you know, what should we wish for if we get the genie out of the bottle? What's the best wish, in a sense? Yeah. And that seems to be a fundamental problem with technology is, you know, if our power increases, what do we use it for? You know, what do we, where does it, uh, where does it end up? If you if you could develop the super AI, what would you use it for? <laughs> if you had you, I I was able to just give you the super AI. What objective are you giving it? <laughs> so this is uh, this is a, a very hard question for me. But I can I can my mind can comprehend what super AI will look like. Yeah, it's kind of like an iPod, but bigger <laughs> <laughs> it's an ipod but better but way better yeah like super like mm. ipod 20 but um yeah that's i mean it's always i suppose in your study of these things have you found 
that it's given you more confidence in what we're doing and where we're going as a as a society as a culture or are you more worried what what do you think this is a difficult question Hmm. um i'm i'm struggling so much with uh creating a notion of what good is that's such a such a philosopher answer isn't the whole of my uh, the whole of my project is, yeah. is um, more and more going into the direction that if you are very critical yeah. we know yeah. especially consciously we we don't know as much as we know and, yeah. and and the more i find out the more i realize we know so so little mm. and this is why i'm uh, i think both our our philosophy our ethics and our social planning all need to take into uh, to account much more hum- humility, epistemological yeah. humility, yeah. moral humility. Um, we don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> and that's fine. That's, Just start by yeah. figuring out what you will do this week, this month. And, and that, that is, a, that is a, a very, very good ambition to have. That's, yeah, it's definitely true, man. That's, that's always the terrifying thing. The more I look into, the, or the more I learn, the less I know, basically. The more I read things, I go, oh my God, I don't, you don't have a grasp of this. This doesn't mean, this, this, this isn't a plea for, for uh, nihilism. This doesn't mean you hmm. can do anything. Yeah. It just means, I, I yeah. think you should, uh, it's impossible to create this grand vision of the future hmm. and to say that, that's where we're headed. Yeah. I think you just need to describe where you're at now very clearly, yeah. and then uh, take uh, describe uh, how you could improve on that marginally, and then you're in the right direction. And when you when you arrive at that point, take into account everything that you've learned, because inevitably you've learned a lot of new things and a lot of unexpected uh, consequences will have popped up, and then you decide on the next step. And Iterate, iterate. Yeah. Uh, but to create a grand vision hmm. is to to assume that there won't be any unexpected consequences throughout the journey, whereas the unexpected consequences are the most important. Yeah, and there's so many of them. But I guess that kind of ties in because if you're if you're to program an objective in the AI, you kind of have to have a grand vision. You kind of have to have yeah, a. You have to, and it's built into it. That's why I'm not so confident that AI will be uh, ever super, that, that mm. it will ever be a super AI, because it always will have to be fitted into metrics, which are models, which are simplifications of reality. Mm. Um, that's a really good point. Whoa. But yeah, again, just have to do more philosophy and try to <laughs> figure out what good, <laughs> what good and bad mean. God, you would have thought we'd have gotten further than that in like, 2,000 years of 3,000 years of philosophy that we'd have figured it out good and bad by now but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also good and bad is, is uh, always in perspective to the context and the context keeps changing yeah uh, that's, a, that's a good point that's a good point but, uh, <laughs> yeah brilliant well and what's next for you Paul what are you doing you're finishing the PhD what, what's the next few months going to look like for you? Well, maybe this answer should, should surprise you after everything that I've said, but the PhD is in two years, and, and I don't even know if I'll be alive in two years. So. <laughs> Incremental steps, just to stay, Incremental steps. stay alive Stay alive every day, and then you'll be alive <laughs> yeah. in two years. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thanks very much for speaking with me, Paul. This has been a really eye-opening experience and definitely given me way more clarity and stuff, which I appreciate.
So. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the very interesting uh, conversation and uh, good luck with the podcast. Appreciate it. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that podcast and it gave you lots of interesting ideas about the digital world and all of the crazy things going on at the moment. And if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a donation in the Koji link below or just follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you are, just click that button. It always helps us with the algorithm, who is the mysterious overlord of this digital world. And yeah, have a good day. Boom.